Hello, everybody. Welcome as we continue on in our study of the New Testament. This is our 251st meeting in the New Testament study. That's pretty good. I just like saying that at this point. And uh, we're in Revelation chapter 18. We have worked through the New Testament a chapter at a time. We've read through all of the New Testament almost up till 18. We got 19, 20, 21, and 22 of Revelation, and we'll have read through the entire New Testament together. And we've talked about it. Um, and we've kept it in context, which is extremely important when you read the scripture to have an idea of context, why it was written, when it was written, who it was written to, what it was written for, and then um, when you see a particular verse, make sure that, that what you think it's saying is actually holding true to the verses that are around it and to the situation for which it was written. Um, having said all that, as... Um, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's still extremely applicable to our lives today in every situation. And, and so it, we just want to make sure when we're um, um, reading through the Scripture and studying the Scripture that we understand there's a context to it. And that's why we, we choose to study through the Bible this way. So after, so after tonight, four more Wednesdays, and, um, and then that, that next Wednesday we'll start in the Old Testament. We'll start with Genesis 1. And we'll work our way through the entire Old Testament, which will take 15 years. And I, I like that because they laugh when I said it would be five in the New Testament. Like, 15. And then, so that'll have been a 20-year run through the Bible. And then I think we'll try and do that one more time, 20 years. And then hopefully Jesus will be back. So, but if not, at least I know what I'm doing on Wednesdays. Part of me would like to, part of me would like to do this again. 15 years from now and use the same notes and just see where I'm at because you know I'm going to agree with the basic but you know you little things change if you notice that the Bible doesn't change and the message doesn't change don't ever hear me say that but but I change and how it impacts me changes and it impacts me every time I read it and it's like the Spirit of God is just working in different spots over time and and I love that about the book it's always alive and always speaking and and how God you know uses the book to speak to our hearts and the Spirit leads and guides us and illuminates the scripture and he teaches us and and how amazing it is that um, that we're in relationship with the with the real God who's always involved um, filled with the Holy Spirit leading guiding you know saved by an amazing Savior and and that he's given us gone out of his way to give us this book that um, helps us in every facet of life and uh, he, you know the lengths that were that have gone to to keep the Bible intact for us or, or intact for us is staggering um, and so, you know, we should always approach it with, with joy and um, be thankful for it and the privilege of reading it and all that good stuff. So, um, like I said, I hope you've enjoyed our process through Revelation. Uh, we're in chapter 18 now. And, and chapter 18 is going to bring about the complete destruction of what's known as Babylon the Great. If you were with us when we did chapter 17, we saw the destruction of, the, the book calls it Mystery Babylon, um, and, and so Babylon sort of has these two components in, in uh, this, this, what we believe in Revelation. One was the false religious system, and that was just take, taken out in, in chapter 17. And in chapter 18, this is uh, Babylon the Great is sort of the, John's metaphorical name for the evil world power and all it represents, the corrupt political system that the enemy will put in place in the tribulation time. And so... Um, uh, Babylon is, is sort of the focus here at some level in, in chapter 17 and 18. 
And you have to know that Babylon is significant throughout the scriptures, beginning in Genesis and working its way through here to Revelation, um, uh, has been Babylon. The first reference to Babylon is in Genesis 10 with one of the sons of Noah. And then the one that you mostly will be familiar with would be in Genesis 11. And uh, it's, it's, it's the first nine verses in Genesis 11. So even before we get into our scripture, I want to read them to you to, so you can see the connection between an event that happens in Genesis 11 and what's going on at the very end of the age with Babylon. Now, in Genesis 11:1, 1, it says this. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the men were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So what was happening there in Genesis 11 was the people were going to build a tower at Babel and sort of establish a biblical basis for unity. That's what was taking place. And um, Babel and Babylon in the Hebrew are the exact same word. So there is a definite connection. And so we see the, this idea of this false religion, false world system, false way of doing things, counterfeit to God activity taking place all the way back in Genesis 11. And it carries through, through the entire process. In Jeremiah, in particular, the prophet Jeremiah warns the people of God to free from Babylon. Jeremiah 58, flee out of Babylon, leave the land of the Babylonians, and be like the goats that lead the flock. So, so this has been an ongoing warning for the people of God to watch out for Babylon and to flee from it and all that it represents in the process. So in Revelation 18, when we were talking about Babylon, we're talking about this, this corrupt political world system that the enemy has put in place at some point in the tribulation period. Now again, let me emphasize that when I read through the book of Revelation and when I teach on the book of Revelation, I tend to have a futurist viewpoint, which means I believe these events haven't happened yet. But there are credible um, other options of the book of Revelation. And so, you know, this is mine, and since I'm, I'm here, that's, that's what you're going to hear. But it don't, you know, it's, it's worth the study um, on some of the other reasons, uh, some of the other viewpoints. Some, some believe that Revelation is completely symbolic, and that it's just a symbol of good and evil, and that these are just pictures of stories and not really going to happen. Some um, believe that all of these events already have happened in um, the lifetime of John, and it, already, it just refers all to Rome and what was going on. Um, some believe that it sort of falls out in stages over time. Um, and these are all, um, like I said, have good scholarly support and, and, uh, um, and held onto by, by large groups of people. Um, but my, my study and my understanding would have more of a futurist viewpoint. And um, I, I keep telling you that it's because of the way I believe that ties into the seven feasts of Israel and, and how we've gone through that. And I've taught on that several times, but 
you know, prophetically, we've already seen the first four feasts of the seven they were commanded fulfilled, that the feast that we're waiting on in this harvest season is trumpets, and, and I believe that ties in very well to the book of Revelation, and then, then those last two feasts, uh, you know, there'd be the, the one of judgment and then of tabernacles. And so when we saw all four prophetically, the first four filled, um, Jesus fulfilled the first three perfectly, date time-wise, everything um, as the feast, uh, you know, as the Passover lamb and as the broken bread, everything, first fruits. We saw the Holy Spirit fulfill perfectly Pentecost. And now we know we're in a, the biggest harvest season, which makes sense. That's what we're here doing. And that the next prophetic feast to be observed is trumpets. And I believe that's the one when... Um, either, either it's the one that we hear as believers and we get caught out of the seven-year period um, or uh, it's the one that when he comes back he sounds either way um, you know that whole seven-year period again there's lots of ideas on that too are we here for any of it the church might get caught up or are we here for half of it or are we here for the whole deal but in, and no matter which of those scenarios it is um, that God is with us and for us and nothing can separate us from that and so we don't need to fear any of it and so hold on to all those things that we talk about Revelation now chapter 18 another difficult chapter this is the end of the um, of the seventh trumpet judgment the last of the 21 plagues and uh, it's going to completely and utterly destroy Babylon beginning in verse 1 after this I saw another angel coming down from heaven he had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen, I am not a widow, and I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and share her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power. In one hour, your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and bodies and souls of men. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. In one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain... And all who travel by ship and sailors and all who are in their living from the sea will stand far off. 
When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe, O great city! Where are all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth? In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heaven! Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets! God has judged her for the way she treated you. And then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down and never be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who had been killed on the earth. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, pretty intense passage of Scripture, but, but this is the, um, the final chunk of wrath, God's wrath being poured out on the enemy and everyone who has joined in cahoots with the enemy. And remember, that's everyone who hasn't come to know Jesus. And, and uh, for a season, they were, um, even in the midst now, remember, this is well into these plagues, and all sorts of things have happened, but some people have, you know, by, by um, joining forces with the enemy and going along with his program, they've, they've profited, they've done well, they've seen, you know, this, this uh, what looked right, but it was counterfeit. And it, um, that its destruction was so quick is fascinating. It, it, you know, it held itself up as being this, you know, as God, and it was not. And when God dealt with it, it completely, it was completely destroyed in an hour. So, that's a pretty big deal. Now, first eight verses, this angel cries out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And, and so, again, chapter 18 is describing the destruction of a corrupt commercial, social, and political system um, that's destroyed here at the end of the tribulation period. Now some people, you know, I've said there's different viewpoints. Some people believe that, that at that point in time, Babylon is an actual city. Um, some believe it might be Rome. Um, others believe that Babylon itself will have to be rebuilt for this to take place, um, which isn't beyond the realm of possibilities, I would suppose. They can do just about anything. They know where it is. They've uncovered Babylon. It's about 55 miles outside of... Uh, of uh, yes, our missionaries from Iran would know exactly where that was. And... Uh, and so they, they, it could certainly be rebuilt, but I don't know that it has to be um, rebuilt because, again, I, I sort of have a belief in this part. It's talking about the entire corrupt commercial, social, and political system. I believe that because in the last chapter, the, the mystery Babylon wasn't, an, uh, you know, wasn't a place. It, it also was the false religious system that was set up. So I think that's more the comparison again. Just me. Lots of people think about differently, and that's all good. I have no issue with that. Um, but, but um, this, this thing is happening, and um, that whole system is going to get wiped out, which is good news for us. It's all got to get wiped out so that when Jesus comes back, he's going to set everything right again. And uh, that's what we're looking forward to. Um, verses 9 through 19, everybody that's been in cahoots with the enemy now is going to mourn uh, and at Babylon's fail. They, they you know, sp- sort of joined forces and figured that was the way it was going to go. And... Um, and so the fall of the, of the evil world system affects everyone who enjoyed or somehow depended on it. And, um, you know, there's elements of 
that whole false system in place already all over the world. Um, corruption is certainly something that you know we can all see. Uh, political corruption is certainly part of the deal all over the world. Uh, uh, you know, moral corruption. Uh, uh, you know, we see elements of it in in all sorts of things, which is why as believers it's very important that we have more than a temporal focus, that we have an eternal focus in what we do. Uh, um, because if you, if you focus solely on the temporary and the temporal, you'll miss out on the bigger picture. And so our, our focus needs to be on the eternal, our life with God forever, still with an understanding that we live in the temporary. I get the fact that we live here. Um, it just can't be our focus. And, and there's something about that, that, that understanding that difference that begins to free us. Matthew 6.33, one of my favorite verses. I love this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And, and Jesus is talking there about you know, the importance of getting that focus right. Let's get our focus and our priority on the kingdom of God and let him take care of everything else. And he's way better at it than we are. He really is. And so, so when we get that focus right, then, then we're, we're going to have way less um, struggles getting caught up in the stuff that our culture gets caught up in. And, and, uh, and, and Jesus said this in Matthew 6, just before there, in verse 19 and 20 and 21, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. And see, that's a big part of that verse. Um, um, where, what do you treasure most? And Because and, that's where your heart is. And so if you have a, an eternal focus, that's where your treasure is. You get that um, what's coming is better than what's here. Now, it doesn't mean that what's here isn't good. Because it can be. Because God is good. And he wants us to experience life now and forever. It's, a, it's, a, it's an abundant life, a now and forever life. It's not just putting off everything till then. We get to enjoy this life. But it's focus that lets us enjoy life um, differently. If we're focused on the kingdom of God and his stuff, we'll far enjoy our daily life more. Be- because, you know, it's, where, it's, a, it's a treasure thing. It's where your heart is. And, and so if your heart is wrapped up here in the temporary, then any little bump in the road messes your life up. Anytime things don't go the way you want, it takes you out of focus. It kind of, it, it freaks you out. It causes you to be very anxious and worried. And so, um, you know, I always want to, I want to say, we, you know, we live in the temporary, and I get that, and that's important, and, and you're to enjoy life. I, I don't want you to hear me say, you know, you put everything off till then. You don't. You, you live now, but the focus is, God, I want what you want, and then, Lord, just direct me in what that looks like. Let me enjoy this this part of my life. You know, one of the things I tell everybody here every day, be thankful for five things. If you've come to church here, you've heard me say that for years. Every day you should try and do two things. Every, you should try and be thankful for five things every morning, and throughout the course of your day, you should encourage two people. That's one of those things. You'll see me do at the end of messages. I go five, two, one. Five, thank for five things. Encourage two people so you can get... And that's from, if you're coming with me on Sunday, we're doing 2 Corinthians... Five out of this where our mission statement is from that 521. It comes out of that verse. It's a reminder. If you're thankful for what you have every day, if you decide to be thankful for what you have, you'll be less consumed by what you don't have or by what everybody else has. You figure out what you're thankful for. It changes your attitude in the day. Figure out how you can be a blessing to other people at least twice a day. And then, and then God will use you in, in all sorts of ways and you will experience life in ways that you couldn't imagine. But if we get sort of constantly thinking about what we don't have or what we wish we had or, or what everybody else has or why don't I have that, or then, then we, we miss out on what we do have. And, and once you get settled in what you have, God has a way of 
fixing everything else. He's fascinating that way. There's a verse in 1 Timothy 6, 2, 6, 10, just sort of on this subject. Um, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. You can't take your travel trailer, you know, full of stuff out of the process. Hook it all up, we're taking it with us. Well, there was a joke about the guy who, who he, he, he got into heaven and it was, the whole big deal was he wanted, to, he wanted to take his gold with him. And so he said, make sure you, make sure you, when, you when you put me in the coffin, you bury me with a, it's just melted into a big thing and put it around my neck and a big thing so I've got you know when I get there and he gets to heaven and people say how come you have a, a chunk of the roadway on your neck because <sighs> the streets are paved with gold so. <laughs> so let me let me keep going uh, but if we have food and clothing we'll be content with that people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Make sure you heard it. The love of money is a root of all Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. So money isn't the root of all evil. The love of money is. There's nothing wrong with money. And if God blesses you with money, praise God. That's a wonderful thing. God, people, the kingdom of God needs people that are good with money, who are blessed with money, who get money, who, who give money, and, and who get it. And the, the kingdom needs that. Um, the problem is um, if, if it becomes your... If it consumes you, it will take. That's that you have the potential for wandering away from the truth, and see that's what the enemy kind of works on. And so, just don't be consumed by it. If it's if it's if you're good at it, good. You know, I always say this. You know, as long as your stuff is serving you, you're on the right track. The moment that flip flops and you're serving your stuff, you've gotten something out of track. All right, because you're not going to enjoy life if you're living serving your stuff. So. Um, but again, don't you hear me? There's, money's good. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not evil. The love of money is, but, but everything. And I only brought all that stuff up because, see, this is what, in, in, in uh, Revelation 18, that, that was what they were mourning over. All that they had put their hope in, their trust in, was this corrupt um, financial political system. And when it fell apart, everything they had fell apart too. There was nothing left for them. But see, for us... Our hope is in Him. Our hope is in the Lord, and, and our hope will always be in the Lord. And so even, you know, if all that stuff fell apart, we, we, we're good, right? Even, even if we had to struggle for a little while until He came and got us, it would be okay because He's got us forever, and he, He'll take care of us. And, and so there's something about that you need to hang on to. I think it's very helpful. Verses 20 through 24, um, the final sort of um, three reasons are given for Babylon's judgment. Um, notice in, in those verses at the end there, the merchants are mentioned as the great men of the earth. And, and that's why, you know, Babylon the Great is, is also talking of this commercial system as well as the political system. And that they're not from the city of Babylon, but they're from all over the earth. And, you know, they, they needed to trade with Babylon. And so when they see that, um, that um, sort of fall apart, that's why they're unsettled. They're unsettled for three reasons. They're, they've been using their wealth to ascend to positions of power and prominence and influence. Nobody ever does that anymore, right, in our day and age. Um, and, and, you know, they, they abuse all those things. Secondly, um, the nations were deceived, it says, by, her, by Babylon's sorcery. That word sorcery is, is from the Greek word pharmakia. It's where we get our word pharmacy and pharmaceuticals. And in the New Testament, it refers to magic and occult practices, which we're, we're not supposed to be involved in. And so Babylon's hold on the world at that time is not only, you know, military, and political, it's also because of their involvement in the occult. And um, the final reason for their judgment is the, her murderous slaughter of God's people. And when they, 
people were, were martyred throughout that process. Not that they're still not being martyred and won't always be, but, but that was happening at the end. But and, anyway, I just want to tie it all together. In Revelation 16, verse 17, so that's the end of 18. See, 17 and 18 were sort of a, a, a blowout of... Um, uh, what was happening at the end of Revelation 16 when that seventh angel poured out his bowl so I want to read it to you again verse 17 the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying it is done then there came flashes of lightning rumblings peals of thunder and a severe earthquake no earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth so tremendous was the quake the great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed God remembered Babylon the Great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. So, so remember, we looked at that at Revelation 16. 17 and 18 have been sort of a, a, a little picture. It's not chronological. We're still sort of... Um, 17 and 18 happened in these verses here at the end of 16. And so notice that not only did Babylon fall, but the cities of the nations as well. Um, the earth is, is reeling from the thunders and the lightnings of these judgments, not to mention the biggest earthquake that the world has ever known. And then these, these 100-pound um, hailstones are falling on the earth, killing people and just destroying. Just imagine what that would do to a city. It's just, it's, it, it, at this point in time, at the end of 18, um, the, it, it's basically wiped out now. And, and uh, it's sort of flattened. And everything is, is ready for um, renewal. And that's what happens next chapter. Jesus comes back. And everything starts happening. And uh, that's, that's really good stuff. He's going to hop on that big white horse. And everything's going to change. And depending on you know, how this has gone, at that point we join him up. And, and, and uh, it's going to be very cool. So um, we'll look at that next week. But that's enough for Revelation 18. If you're watching on video or on TV, thank you for doing that. Uh, if you have any questions, um, you, you can go to our website and uh, hit the prayer page or the contact page, and we'll try and answer them for you. But that's good for now, and so um, we'll see you soon.